Good morning. Good to see you, be with you. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. As I was ready to leave the house this morning, so I uh, grabbed my Bible and I noticed something sticking out of the side and I opened it and there was a, a card that I had gotten from one of the kids last Sunday, Sunday before that I forgot about it for appreciating their pastors and I opened it up. So on the front, dear pastor, open up. I love cats. And then, so, so I felt very encouraged by that expression of how much they appreciate my preaching and being a pastor here. And um, whoever you were, hopefully, will have stray cats around the property that you can see and feel good about. We have uh, been working our way through this New Testament uh, letter to the Hebrews. We are in the final chapter, and we've come to verse 7. Let's read. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And now in the, the following verses, which we will cover next week, uh, the author then digs into what are some of these diverse teachings that they should not be led away by. We're going to drop down to verse 17 where he, he picks up this theme again that he began in verse 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your word again today would, would be clear to our hearts and minds that what you desire for us to see and understand is, is what we would take in, uh, that we would hold to your word, that you would cause it to work in our lives for your name's sake, for the blessing of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. These verses tell us something of how we should respond to the leaders in the church. And why would the author be concerned about that. It is because the, the church needs shared faithfulness. The church needs pastors who will be faithful with the word of God and, and how they are shepherding those God has put in their care. And the church also needs faithful members, those who will 
join in the, the work that God has given us to do and we'll be caring for one another. And so the intention of the passage is that uh, the church needs to see we have this shared responsibility to live in faithfulness to one another. And we're going to look at this idea of shared faithfulness in two different categories. Uh, the first is that we are to stay faithful to the foundation of the church, which is the gospel and person of Jesus Christ. We must never erode in any way that faithfulness of heart. But also, we will see, we are to then be faithful to the ministry of our church. We are all to be a part of the growth that takes place and how we are impacting the world around us. So to this, this first category, stay faithful to the foundation of the church. And we see this in verses seven and nine. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Now, the leaders that he's referring to here in verse seven uh, are leaders uh, from the past, those who may have gone on to be with the Lord. It is those leaders who first brought the gospel to them those through whom the, the preaching of the word of God came and their eyes were open to know the Lord. Now the point is not to memorialize past leaders. The application is not that we start putting up plaques and uh, monuments around the property to all of our past leaders. As much as that could be a disappointment to one here, but you're welcome to do that in your own yard. <laughs> Neither is this a call for us to be enamored with past ways of ministry. That the good old days of how we did this or how we handled that area of church life, it, it's not that we always exalt the way we used to do things. Uh, the point is that we remain earnestly focused on the foundation we have been given. And we understand the intention of verse seven and verses eight and nine. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the author immediately takes our attention from what he says about leaders to the person of Christ. And he doesn't just refer to Christ, he exalts Christ. He is making sure that we understand what he is talking about. We're not exalting our leaders, we are thankful and we are leaning into what they bring to us in the ministry of the word of God, which is that Christ would be glorified, that we're following him. He is the one we are committing to. We remember the gospel spoken 
so that we would keep from being led away. It's the message that was brought to us by pastors and leaders that we are keeping in mind. And he tells us in verse 9, the reason for that is that we can be led astray, we can drift, and we have to make sure that doesn't happen. The verb led away uh, is the idea of a flowing river, the, the current of a river, and so that's what he's wanting us to protect from, and we'll see in the following verses next week. It's, it's the, the culture around us that we can get caught in and swept away by, and we'll, we'll be looking at that. Don't allow our lives, our focus, our attention as a church to drift. And how do we do this? By centrality of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. We, we never get tired of, we never lose attention from the person of Christ, the gospel of Christ. That remains the heartbeat of how we think and live and all that takes place. That whatever is going on in our life, whether it's personally, individually, whether it is as a church collectively, as we're seeking to be healthy, we, we remain gospel-centered. Uh, what do we mean by that? What is gospel-centered? We, we use that expression. Uh, what do we mean by it? it? It's that our starting place is always with the truth of the gospel. Uh, let me give one example, a broad category in life, in relationships and in marriage. How do we conduct ourselves? How do we handle problems? How we think about it? How do we enter it? We always start, what does the gospel of Christ speak to us about? Because it is the most important truth. It is the very foundation of life. We, first we realized, well, we would never enter a marriage relationship, such an intimate relationship with someone who also doesn't believe the gospel, who doesn't have faith in Christ. It, it means we're looking for someone, if we're single, uh, someone who actually loves the Lord intensely. That will be an encouragement to us to love the Lord intensely. It means that when struggles happen in marriage and in relationships, we're thinking, how does the Lord respond to me? How quick is the Lord to forgive? Has not the Lord covered all of my sin? Doesn't the Lord forgive over and over? Uh, we, we shape how we interact with one another, not by what our friends tell us or what the advice columnist in the paper tells us, for anyone who knows what that is. No. It, it, it's not that we're doing what someone we see does. It is what does my trusting in Jesus Christ? He is my hope. His gospel is my life. What he has said, that is what I feed on. That's what I follow. So we always go to the word of God 
what the gospel means to us, we think about how does this inform what I do, how I live. That's what the writer is getting to. That's how we protect ourselves from drift. We remember the truth of Christ that's been given to us. Because Christ and his gospel, which is our foundation, never changes. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, He is the Christ. It is a title. It means he is the one anointed by God and sent to us. God sees our need. We, we often will speak, where is God in the midst of all the evil and troubles? God's appearance to us was literally God becoming human flesh. In the person of Christ, God with us. God came. And God in flesh went to the cross dying to pay the penalty of our sins. And Jesus, who died to pay for the penalty of our sins, raised himself from the dead to conquer sin and death. And he now reigns. He reigns everywhere over everything, and he will for all time. He is the same, the eternal son of God, who will always be the ruling Lord of all. That is why we always start with what Christ has done and said. That is why we are gospel-centered. Because he is unchanging, this means his gospel, which means the good news of who Christ is and what he has done, that he came and died for us, that our greatest of needs is we are sinners before a holy God. We are sinners who can try to make some adjustments, but we cannot remove guilt. We cannot undo that we are sinners. But Jesus Christ can handle that. And he cleanses the guilt of sin and transforms and empowers and changes us. His gospel is the determining truth of existence. There's no truth more important. There's, There's no other reality that shapes our forever. The greatest truth we face, our response to the truth of Christ, who he is, what he has done. That's that's the greatest need we have. Will we respond to Christ? Will we trust him? Will we look to him? And it means that what he has accomplished will always stay in force. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he has done, died for sin, will always be true and powerful, what he has done. Raised from the dead, that will always be true and powerful. That he rules over all that is will always be true. And so, we, we remain faithful to him who remains the same. There's no new alternative way to God or truth about God. It is always centered on the person of Jesus, whom God sent. No generation 
introduces new truth. Because truth is a God thing. What is true? God. Who he is and what he says and what he does. That's, that's truth. All truth emanates, meaning what is real. How are things really? How will things turn out? Really. What will work? Really. All that is centered on the person of Christ who rules over all time, all things, all people. It is like gravity. It just is always true. It, it's not what you think gravity is. I'm thinking that if I jump off this roof and flap these devices really hard, maybe I can take off. Uh, gravity's gonna show that it is always right and true. Opinions don't change gravity, it, it is. It's always real, and the consequences of its realness always stand. And as some of you found out, the, the, the reality of, of gravity has impact. Pun intended. And so we're given in the passage three practices that stimulate faithfulness to our gospel foundation. To remember your leaders, consider the result of our lives, and imitate their faith. So look at each of those briefly. Remember your leaders which as we've seen means to cling to the truth that they spoke, the truth of Christ, the truth of God. What are we remembering about them? We're immediately told in the next phrase of about Christ who's unchanging. We remember what they brought to us and what saved us. We must not loosen our grip on the only truth that ever saves. And so the only truth that ever really sustains and can carry us, we, we cling to what is unchanging, what is sure. We're constantly shaped by perspectives. And that, that's how we set the priorities of each day. What is important? How am I going to respond? What am I going to do? We have perspectives, how we think about life, how we set priorities. We, we all have them. We all operate by perspectives. We're all setting priorities based upon something. And we need to ask, well, where do our perspectives come from? Where do we get them? Do we know? Is it from a trustworthy source? How do we evaluate our perspectives? What happens to those who follow this way? What happens in the end? Where do they lead us? Opinions are so easily declared. We hear them all the time. We make them all the time. All kinds of opinions. Guarantees are not so easily given or not so easily kept. 
I guess guarantees can be given as easily as opinions. But to actually guarantee. So those who are influencing your life, how you're thinking, what you're doing, Granted, they may hold very strongly to these opinions. Uh, how, how well do they guarantee how that will end up in your life? What's their power to guarantee? And do they even know how things will end up? For themselves, let alone for you. Christ is the only one who can guarantee what he tells us, the truth that he gives us, because he is the same forever. He can guarantee what he says, which means to build on that foundation is trustworthy. He will be faithful to us. The Bible's not an old, out-of-touch writing. It is the eternal truth preserved. In a few weeks, when we end this book, our next preaching will begin with Genesis. We'll begin, and, and there from the beginning, what is true? In the beginning, God. And we start from there. The second practice is consider the result of their lives. Those who proclaim the gospel, those who believed it, lived by it, uh, they are past now, so we can see what did that do for them? Do we not see that God, by his faithfulness to the word preached, that they grew in righteousness, that God fruitfully brought in their life things that we would desire and want to see? Do we not see a testimony of there is a God Faithful to those who follow him. Do we not see that? Being faithful or not has consequences. Consequences that are significant, that are lasting. Thirdly, imitate their faith. Imitate their dependence and commitment to the Lord. It's the same principle we saw in the beginning of the last chapter. After that long expression of that long list of examples of those in the past who exercised faith in God in all sorts of situations. It, it reminds us all those who live by faith. And then after all of those examples, he begins the next chapter saying this in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, meaning those examples, we see so many and how they have lived. Let us then also, let's join them and lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us also run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despises shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. 
Our verses are, are giving the same truths. He's saying it in a different way, but it, it's the same idea. Those who have put their faith in the Lord, uh, imitate that faith. Have you not seen how they've lived? Let that be what you're imitating and Realize they are imitating and setting their heart on the person of Christ. Let us join them in that. We have a transformational heritage. We're not just following blindly people who have believed something. Uh, The power of God through the gospel of Christ changes hearts eternally in every generation. And... He has graciously brought us to be a part of that, to follow, to hear, receive, and to live it out in a way that it is passed on for the generations quickly coming and overtaking us. That we receive and pass on, and that's the life of the church of God's people. How good God has been to this church and that that whole picture. How good have been the examples we have seen. And what we have heard and what we see among us and of the young people even in this service, we see how God has raised up and how faithful they are being. And we rejoice for what is ahead. The faithful Christ is ahead with them. And so we, we are given this, this picture of what we do with what we've been given, this foundation, the person of Christ, his gospel, of making sure that's our foundation, and how we are thinking of it, receiving it, how we practice that faithfulness. And then he comes back to this subject again in verse 17. In verse 17, he again brings up leaders. After we think he's left that subject, he comes back, oh, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. He brings up the subject again of leaders, but the context is different. Verse 7, it's leaders in the past who brought the word of God. Here it's present leaders, those who are now the leaders in the church. So he's coming back to this idea of the shared faithfulness we have with one another, with members and leaders, and how we're processing that, how we're thinking about it. Not just the gladness for what has happened, but now today with those who are here and how we are going forward. In some sense, he's He's teasing out what he brought up in imitating. And because he's bringing it to, then how are we in our generation, time, and place? 
as we cling to the gospel given to us, we must commit to its ministry. How does it work out in our midst? How are we applying it within? How are we displaying it to those without? And that's why he comes back to this theme. And again, he gives us three practices. How we are faithful to gospel ministry as a church and to leaders. He says, obey, submit, and pray for. So the first of these, to obey the leaders of your church. The, the word for obey, it's the idea of that you can put your confidence in. The Bible never tells us to blindly obey any person in anything they say to us. But we are to put our confidence in those who, in the, the same sense of verse 7, those who are faithful to the word of God, those who that is their ministry to us, we should be able to put our confidence in those now who are being faithful with the word of God. That confidence makes sense when leaders are shaped by the word of God. This is not hope in men. The Bible never gives us that direction. It is confidence in the ministry of God's word and how he uses people who love him. Imagine a church where the members have no confidence in the word of God given. If there's no confidence in it, then we're going to pick and choose. We're going to be casual about what we hear. We're going to spiritually just kind of meander around life aimlessly. And our witness to the world as they see us will be, well, yeah, they go to church on Sundays, but they're no different from the rest of the world. So why would I give up Sunday to be a part of that? There, there's no power in that. There's power in a life transformed, committed, displaying there is a real God who is faithful, life-changing, life-empowering. Well, what about abusive leaders? And that is a category, sadly. Verse 17, the Lord's going to hold them accountable. There, there is sin in leaders. There are leaders who misuse the place they have. And you know what I've noticed? There are also sinful followers sitting in the seats. It's kind of something we all have in common. We can't ignore it. We must not ignore it. Several years ago, uh, a man who is a national leader in the church of his country said to me, even if a pastor sins, the people of his church should never say anything to him. I thought, what Bible are you reading? No! Nowhere in Scripture are we given that perspective. We're called to cultivate mutual accountability. 
And I would say that's a strength of this church as well. I've been here a long time. So far, I haven't noticed any hesitation <laughs> for people to come up and mention things. Something missing, something I could have done better. I've had some people not even hesitate to comment on my beard or clothing. So, you know, it's pretty broad. They're, they're trying to hit all the, the spots. The Bible, the Bible's picture of the church is very much mutual accountability for one another. That is why we operate as a pastoral team as a plurality of elders, meaning every pastor on the team has the same authority. I don't have any more authority than any other pastor. Each of us have a role in the church delegated by the whole team. And we all hold one another accountable and we all commit together and learn from each other. And that means how we speak to what we feel is not appropriate at times from one another. That's, that's how we view what healthy church leadership is and that's how we operate. That's why we're in partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches. So there are also even other churches and other pastors who speak to us and we take seriously that holding each other accountable. And if someone is a member of this church and it even if it came to that sad point where you would feel that your pastors are not properly handling their oversight, there is an avenue provided regionally where other pastors would come and meet and speak to that. We, we try to take mutual accountability very seriously, most important on that informal level, just how we interact, but also in ways that are laid out and definitive. And so we would say... Uh, Abusive leadership is a great evil. As the passage indicates, God takes it serious. And if you feel your leaders, they're, they're men you cannot obey, that you cannot put your confidence in, then you find a church where you can and do. The response isn't so, well, I'm not going to pay attention. I'm not going to We go to what the Word of God says. You find a church where you can be confident and where you do commit yourself. Unfaithfulness in one place is never an excuse to pull back on your responsibilities before God and the church, ever. The second practice is to submit to the leaders of your church. The idea of submission here is the readiness to comply with leadership, to the direction given. Let's, let's all jump in and be a part of it. We join together in what is taking place. God established the office of pastors, and submission in the church flows out of how we view God. 
Is God the authority? Has he established authorities in the home, in the church, in government? And then we are responding to our need to be humble people under the leadership of God and participate in it. If submission sounds kind of stifling to you, there's something much worse. And that is unrestrained pride in doing whatever you want. Now that is dangerous. Something that checks our pride is always a grace of God. We all need whatever can come into our life to help us grow in humility. Unfortunately, a lot of those things can be unpleasant, but we need them. We need them. And so leaders must make choices about how we join in ministry, the flow of the service, what takes place, how are we going to disciple the people here, how do we build into young people who are right now in Sunday school, how do we reach out to our community, how do we grow in community. Uh, Pastors need to make decisions, make choices about how we're going to do that here in a way that's healthy and moving us forward. So submission means that we cooperate with that even when, uh, I'd prefer we do it a little bit different. You could even be right. And again, feel free to share your rightness. And we'll feel free to receive or not. (laughs) The point is that we realize the ministry, the unity we have in going forward the gospel is much bigger than everything always being the way we would want to. Just with, with five pastors, what we do is not what all of us want. Right now, there are five men who all feel they should be up here preaching. <laughs> not only that, we have a pastoral intern who feels so good about how he preached a few weeks ago, he's kind of thinking... You know, maybe I should be up there again. (laughs) Why am I not up there again? People were telling me I did pretty good. You know, we had disagreement just about who should be here. (laughs) This week I won. (laughs) I'm trying to keep a streak going. (laughs) Get another week out of it. Verse 17 reminds us the motivation that a pastor is faithful with the word of God. What is their motivation? They are trying to care for your souls. That's the reminder he gives. The the reminder is not, you can trust they will always make the best decision possible. Jesus can make that guarantee about himself. We can't. We're going to try. And... In whatever decision is made, earnestly, we are seeking to be faithful to God. And we are trying to care for the souls of those who are here. And to be honest, that's beyond us. Because we can't even fully take care of our own souls. 
That's why we're, we go back to verse 7. We're, we're trusting on the Word of God and the person of Christ, all of us. The last practice is pray for the leaders of your church. Verse 18, pray for character faithfulness. He says that we, we had a clear conscience and we're desiring to act honorably. And so, so we're seeking to be faithful men. What are they wanting prayer for? That they would stay faithful men. That they would always be honorable, but that their conscience would always be clear. We see from the instructions in Scripture of who are the types of men that should be elders in the church or should be deacons in the church. It's all about character. In the church, leadership is character-based. Pastoral ministry requires character. So what do you think the enemy is, is going to work on? And if he can bring a fall in character, he can bring havoc to a church and ruin its reputation. And so the need for prayer that character, that our hearts would always be soft to God. That is always a need. It's also then part of the responsibility we have for one another. And verse 19, pray for challenges faced. Here he speaks of, he wants them to pray that he might be returned. It, it could be that he may be in prison. There's some indication that could be the reality. But there are circumstances that the writer says that he desires to be different, that he might be with this church. And so he, he's asking, pray for this, for these circumstances. And we all recognize that. And leaders face all sorts of challenges. Every week, there, there are emergencies in lives. Every week, there are people struggling and hurting and things breaking apart. There's grief. There are addictions. There are marriage struggles. There are just people being blockheads. I mean, there's just, there's problems everywhere, constantly. It never ends. So grace is needed just to endure, not to be wearied, not to be so emotionally exhausted that thinking about another need of person just seems like too much. What encouragement to know your church family is praying for you. Do not underestimate that gift to us. So let's close with this thought. The church should be, according to verse 7, joy for us all. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. That's no advantage to you either. The life we share, this shared faithfulness, it it should be joy in all of our hearts. And so, if you, to be honest, would have to say, eh, being a part of the church, to be honest, it's not bringing any joy to me, I would suggest consider 
what are your expectations for the church? And what is your participation in the church? Are you expecting the church to be fixing everything for you, or are you expecting that your life in Christ will make life whole? And are you participating so you're a part of all of this? If there's no joy, it may be that how you're thinking about the role of the church to you and your participation may need some attention. As we lean in together, God will bring increase to the joy of our hearts now and because he he doesn't change forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to be renewed in seeing what is important in your eyes and so for us to value what you value, to commit ourselves to what you have given us, to trust it is good and it will bring joy and it will bring wholeness. Help each person in their place now to see what you have for them in this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.